I'm so thankful we don't have a bulletin today. I truly am thankful we don't have a bulletin today. And I'll tell you why. Um, Sue, our dear, our dear sister Sue, um, is so persevering. She'll push through anything. She'll do anything to get that bulletin to us. And this week she was particularly overwhelmed with lots of things that were going on. She was particularly tired, or last week. And so I made an administrative decision and told her, go home, take the week off. We can live without a bulletin. You need some rest. You need to go and rest. And, and in the rare, the rare instance, after of 18 years of knowing her, she would have soldiered on. She finally took my counsel. And I'm so thankful for that. So that's why we don't have a bulletin, so that we could give Sue a break, a little bit of a break, and such, which she, she, she very much desperately needed. And uh, we'll survive without a bulletin. We're just glad to see Sue feeling a little bit better and here with us today. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we study your word, we pray. Help us that we could be people who open a Bible, read something, and then see that reality at work in our own lives. Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and in circumstances that we find ourselves faced with, in people that come into our lives. Father, help us, we pray. Give us grace. Help us that we could just live out what your word teaches this morning that we will look at. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. For people here, um, some of you who maybe work, do things around the house or work on cars, you'll know that there are times that, especially working with electrical things, there are times that uh, the, the system, you flip the switch or you turn something and something's supposed to happen, lights are supposed to come on, uh, a fan's supposed to start running, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And, uh, and you, you, you go and start diagnosing, uh, doing some diagnostic, and you realize that one little screw, one little, one little wire, one, maybe perhaps a ground wire or something, one little wire was disconnected, and because of that, a whole section of the electrical thing that was supposed to work, you know, the lights or the radio in the car or whatever, just didn't work. And, and if you just tighten that thing down, and that was all it took. You didn't have to buy any new motors. You didn't have to get new power cords. Your power was working. It was just this one loose wire. It was a disconnect. And I want to talk about a disconnect today that we, uh, that we can have in our lives, a, a very serious disconnect. And I want to talk about how we, can, um, how we can repair that disconnect and give you some very practical uh, realities and give you some very practical help on how to do that and how to heal that disconnect. And let me begin by, saying, by answering the question, what is this disconnect? And, and I will say it's this, very simply. It's the disconnect between how God treats us and how we treat others. There's a, there, for, for many of us, there's a disconnect there, a disconnect between how God treats us and how we treat others. Let me illustrate this for you. We come on Sunday morning and we sing hymns to God. We thank God for his mercy. We thank him for his grace. We glorify him for his patience with us, for his forgiveness, for his forbearance. We praise God for all of these things. Oh, God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're so kind. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you're so patient. That's Sunday. 
that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, somebody is brought into our lives, and we struggle to extend grace, mercy, forgiveness, patience, forbearance with somebody else. We struggle to actually extend that to them. Somebody comes into our life and they hurt us. Somebody comes into our life and they're mean to us. Somebody just irritates us. Or somebody sins against us. And instead of mercy, we criticize them and we judge them and we, we become very uh, uh, judgmental toward them in that sense. Instead of extending grace to them, we extend anger and frustration and malice and we begin to hate them. Instead of being patient and slow to anger, we're very quick-tempered with them. And instead of forgiving them, we keep score, we be, grow bitter, and we try to get back to them. And then Sunday comes, and we praise God for his mercy and grace and forgiveness and patience and long-suffering with us. There's a disconnect there. Jesus, of course, illustrated this perfectly when in Matthew 18, he told the story when Peter said, how often should we forgive? Seven times, Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And then the man who owed the king billions of dollars, the king forgave him completely. And then the man went out and found his friend who owed him a couple thousand bucks and began to choke him around the neck. And Jesus showed the perfect illustration of that disconnect, the disconnect. So what I want us to look at today is how can we reconnect these things? How can we find the loose wires that are in here and, and hook them back up so that there's a reconnection so that we don't have this disconnect? So that on Sunday as we praise God for his mercy and grace and patience and forgiveness and forbearance and love, that when people then come and treat us that way, we will extend that to them as well. How, do, how, do you, how does this connection work? How can we get this thing to work again? Well, first of all, what is the connection? Well, the connection in people's lives is when they have a profound, life-changing impact of the gospel, of what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. That is supposed to be so profound and impact us so strongly that it affects how we treat other people around us. Look with me to Colossians chapter 3, for instance. In Colossians chapter 3... Paul gets to one of the practical sections, and it's verse 12. And we're going to focus on verses 12 through 14 this morning. And notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, notice here how he's referring to the Colossians. He's referring to the Colossian Christians as the elect of God. They have been chosen by God. They're God's chosen people. And they're holy. They're They're pure. They have been justified and sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ, set apart. And they're deeply loved. And so he says to them, therefore, as chosen people of God who are set apart to be holy people for him and are deeply loved by God, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all of these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now notice the connection, Paul says. Because you're the elect, because you're holy, because you're deeply loved by God, put on these things. 
So, so the idea is, is that they were deeply impacted by something that God had done. He refers to that in Colossians 1. Look at Colossians 1, actually, verse 12, right? The last part that Jeff read for us. Uh, look at Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to God the Father who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Those are, that's the holy ones that he refers to in the light. God has qualified us and made us a part of this group of people called the saints. Then he said this, he has delivered us, or it could be translated rescued us. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God has rescued us. God has brought us into the kingdom of his son of his love. God has given us redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this had a huge impact upon the apostles and then as they begin to teach about the ethics of how we're supposed to treat one another, it just flows out of this. I'm absolutely convinced this is what happened in their life. Think of two of the apostles. Think of John and Paul. The apostle John, he is called by, by people today the apostle of love. You just read 1 John and always says, brethren, love one another. We have to love one another. God is love and God has called us to love. And if you don't love each other, you can't even call yourself a Christian. We're to love one another. A tradition developed that when John was actually dying, a tradition in the early church when John was actually dying, he's on his deathbed, and he's barely breathing. <gasps> he's dying. And then all of a sudden, John stood up, or sat up in bed and said, Brethren, let us love one another. <laughs> he died. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But anyway, but it's interesting because the tradition of John was such that, that this man was just consumed and overwhelmed by love. But when you read the Gospels, this is the very same John who with his brother James, when they were in the Samaritan territory, said, Lord, you want us to call down fire and destroy them? This is the same guy with his brother James who tried to elbow himself into the, into the most important seats of the kingdom and had to get mommy to speak for them and was so selfishly ambitious. But something happened to this man, and he became a man of love, and he became a man who just kept talking about love. Or think about the man who wrote Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul, who's telling us to have tender mercies, to be kind and humble and meek and long-suffering. This man was a violent man. This man was an arrogant man. This man was vengeful. This man was mean. And he said so himself. And yet this is the same man who wrote the love chapter. Love is, not, love is, love is kind. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love does not keep accounts of wrong. What happened? These men were deeply impacted by what God had done to them and how God had loved them and how God in Christ had sacrificed his son for them. And that then flowed through them. The connection, the, the electricity was flowing through them and they felt that we should treat one another like that. So again, look at what he says in verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, Put on. This is how the elect of God, the holy, the beloved ones, this is, this is sort of the clothing that they're going to wear. Now, this is part of the put on, take off uh, imagery here because he says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says that we have been raised with Christ. Look at verse 1 there. He says that we should seat our, set our minds above where Christ is. Then he said in verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with him in glory. There's that impact, that impact of the gospel. 
So then he says, verse 5, therefore put to death, and then in verse 8, put off all of the old stuff, all of the old stuff that you died to that you're no longer a part of. But then, verse 9, put off the old man. But then look at verse 10, put on the new man. And so verse 12 here is a part of that put on passages. And notice what he says there, put on tender mercies, tender mercies. Some of your Bibles may, may, may use the word compassion uh, here, tender compassion. Or The word means pity, pity. It means a deep feeling about one's difficulties or misfortune. And so it's actually two words. And the one means something deep and visceral, something that comes from deep within. And then it, it has this, that's where the word tender comes from. There's something deep. Have a deep sense of compassion and pity and mercy when you see somebody who's having difficulty or struggles or trials. There's an interesting translation of the Bible that I've been, caught my attention recently. I have the a program that shows me all the many Bible translations. It's called the, the Literal Standard Version. And I love their translation of this phrase, tender mercy. I thought it got closest to the Greek where it says this, yearnings of mercies, yearnings of mercies, that, that sort of deep, passionate pity and love. And Paul is saying, put that on, put that on. And then he says, kindness, put on kindness, be kind people. Put on humility, lowliness, not, not exalting yourself, but, but being willing to serve. Meekness, that could also be translated gentleness, it may be in some of your Bibles. Put these things on. This is how we're to treat one another. He says, then long-suffering. Some of your Bibles may translate this patience. Actually, long-suffering is, is, is a more literal translation because it's a compound Greek word that literally means long connected to passion. And what it meant was waiting a long time before expressing your anger. Waiting a long time before expressing anger. This is why the Bible calls God slow to anger. Slow to anger. One commentator said, we have the word short-tempered. This would be the word long-tempered. Be long-tempered. And you see, each one of these things that God is calling us to do, this is how God has treated us. In an infinite way, God has been incredibly patient and compassionate and has expressed pity and has suffered and has waited long uh, without exercising wrath against us and has been gentle with us. And what he's saying is as the elect of God, as God's beloved children, as God's holy one, this connection should flow through you and you, this should flow out to other people who are around you. Notice the next one. And this is one that I don't think we emphasize enough. Um, today, and, and, and perhaps we should be emphasizing it here in the church. Bearing with one another. Notice that. Bearing with one another. The word means to forbear, to put up with somebody. It means to put up with, to endure, to endure irritations or, or people that are annoying or disagreeable. Jesus actually used this phrase at one point when he came down from Mount of Transfiguration and his disciples were arguing with the Pharisees and they were trying to heal this kid and they couldn't heal this kid. And Jesus says, how long will I have to put up with this? How long? Jesus had to forbear his entire life being the holy, sinless one, surrounded by sinful people, being one who has never faltered in his obedience to God, being around all kinds of people that have all kinds of... And he said, how, how long will I have to put up with this? 
Douglas Moo in his commentary on Colossians wrote this, for the sake of maintaining community, we will sometimes have to put up with people with whom we would not normally choose to associate. And so this is the idea of forbearing, of putting up with people. And that's what we're called to do as the elected people of God. Then notice the next one. Verse 13, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Forgive. Forgive. Now, this is actually an interesting word for forgive. There's another word that's usually used for forgive, and that means to cancel debt. This word here is actually the verbal form of grace. It's like graciously forgive. Pour out grace upon somebody and forgive them through that grace. That's what the word means here. Graciously forgive. A grace that leads to pardon. Forgive, 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 forgive. Listen to a quote. I want to read you a quote from a commentary. The words are a little bit, a little bit, you're going to have to just listen carefully. I'll read slow, but this is worth it. Listen to this, and it's on this verse and about forgiving. F.F. Bruce wrote this. Did not Jesus himself inculcate the principle, listen to this, of unwearying and unceasing forgiveness? Did not Jesus himself inculcate the principle of unwearying and unceasing forgiveness until 70 times 7. More than that, had they not received his forgiveness in far greater measure than they were ever likely to emulate in forgiving others. We have, forgiven, we have received so much more forgiveness from Jesus than we'll ever be asked to give to other people. For he taught the lesson of unlimited forgiveness by example and not only by precept. In his teaching, too, he made it clear that those who seek the forgiveness of God must be ready to forgive others. Forgiveness, forgiveness, extending forgiveness, giving forgiveness out to other people. And here we're to forgive as Christ forgave us. There's the connection. Christ has forgiven me. Christ has forgiven me. I'm ready to forgive others. I'm, well, I'm able to do that. And then finally, of course, the greatest one of all. Look at verse 14. But above all these things, super most important of all, Put on love. Now, it's interesting because people don't know, uh, commentators don't know how to handle that. Is Paul saying, most important of all, put on love? Or is Paul saying, which I think he is saying that, or, which I think he also may be saying, put over top of all of these things love. In other words, he told us to put on tender mercies. He told us to put on compassion. He told us to put on humility. He it's almost like you're, you're, you're layering your clothes. You're going to go out skiing or something. And then over all these things, put on this big top coat, which is love. And then he says this, which is the bond of perfection. It's the super glue that holds it all together. As you experience God's love as the beloved of God, you love other people. That's the connection. Now, why do we have a disconnect? Why do we have the disconnect? Why do we glory in these things, sing about these things, delight in these things, and then go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and after we've experienced God's forgiveness on Sunday, somebody comes along, we grab them around the neck, start shaking, and, rah, 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 and we give them impatience, and we give them judgment, and we give them criticism. Why? Why? Why the disconnect? Where's the loose screw? Where's the loose wire that we can, we've got to clean and sand off and put back in there? Where? What is it? Well, I think it simply comes back to this. We have not been profoundly impacted by the gospel, as we should be. 
what God has done for us in Christ. What God has actually given us hasn't impacted us with the depth that it should. And I'm just preaching to myself, just like Jeff said today, I'm preaching to myself. I think we have too much hashtag religion. Do you know what hashtag is? Some of the older people here may not know what hashtag is, and, and you're not poorer for it, you know. Bless you that you don't know what hashtag is. A hashtag is a, is a, is a statement that uh, it's usually a meaningless little byword that we put on when we say something at the end of, say, a text message or something. Hashtag, you know, surf bum. Hashtag fly fishing fanatic. Hashtag I told you so or something like that. I think so. it's just little phrases, little almost meaningless phrases. I think we have too much hashtag religion. Hashtag Jesus died for us. Hashtag Jesus went to the cross for me. Hashtag forgiven. Not perfect. Hashtag, hashtag. But these things don't really impact us the way they should. We allow ourselves to have hashtag religion. I was meditating on this the other day, and I was thinking, my meditation took me to this place. What if I saw one of my sons, I have seven sons, what if I saw one of my sons being beaten the way Jesus was beaten? What if I saw one of my sons and his clothes were ripped off his back and he was tied or tied to a pole and a very powerful Roman soldier had a whip that had leather thongs on each with an embedded piece of lead or bone at the end of it, hitting him as hard as he could and ripping his flesh. What if I saw one of my sons being beaten like that? I didn't have any answers, just horror in my heart. What if I saw one of my sons laid upon a cross and I actually heard the hammers hitting the nails that were being driven through his hands or his feet? What if I saw one of my sons hanging on a cross? One of my sons hanging there in agony. I watched his blood, my beloved son's blood, dripping down his arms and legs, hearing his agony, and that for hours. What if that was, and I didn't have any answer. I just felt horror. And I thought, God did this for me. You see, dear friends, we have to drink deeply of this so that we don't have hashtag religion. We got to get away from hashtag religion. Jesus died on the cross for me. No, Jesus, the son of God died on the cross for me. But not only that, should we be impacted by what God has done for us in the past, but I think we should also be impacted by what God continues to do for us presently. You see, dear friends, people are mean to us. People slander us. People irritate us. People hurt us. People disappoint us. People sin against us. And we get angry, and we get mean, and we get mean back at them, and we get critical and we get harsh, and we lose all affection for them. We perceive them now as our enemies. We don't like them anymore. But dear friends, whenever you and I 
have treated God like this or treated others and God has watched, God's response is very different than ours. God's response is the way God always responds. He goes to his default mode. Mercy. Grace. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He's compassionate. God's love for us never cools one degree. God's desire for us is just to do good, and that desire is strong. You see, I irritate God. I offend God. I disgust God. I disappoint God. You know what God does to me? He just pours out compassion. He feels deep, intense pity for me. He feels bad for me. He forbears with me. He's patient with me. He loves me. And his love never changes, even though I'm being a jerk. You, we hear things come out of people's mouths, and they say things, and we get very angry at them. and We get vengeful toward them. Well, God not only hears all the filth and junk that comes out of our mouths, but God hears and sees all of the thoughts that are in our brains and all of the feelings and emotions that are in our hearts. God sees and feels all of that ugliness. And what is God's response to us? Mercy and grace and compassion and long-suffering and forbearance. God sees our sin. And, and he experiences our sin against him. We disobey him. We doubt. We worry. We do offensive things. We even get angry at God. We question God. We doubt whether he loves us. And God, and every time we do that, it is all completely unjust. It is never right. It is highly offensive to God. Do you ever have people get mad at you and, and say things about you and, and do things against you and then you tell them the truth of what actually happened and then they, oh, whoa, I, I had you all wrong. And you want to say, yeah, you had me all wrong. Well, we do that to God all the time. And what's the response? Mercy, compassion, gentleness, patience, forbearance, Love, it's like standing under the Niagara Falls and God's grace and mercy and love. He never loses affection for us. He's so patient with us. He continues to forgive us. He's such a good God. And that's what we're supposed to do for others. God chose to reconcile with us when we were the ones who sinned. God chose to reconcile for us by giving his son for us, by sending his son to die for us. God so loved us and wanted us right with him that he did all of this so that we could have a relationship with him. That's what God is like. Every time I see a movie or read a book where I'm drawn into this, I'm drawn into the story and a person dies to save somebody else or a person dies for the good of somebody else, I always stop right there and I think, oh, Lord Jesus, you did this for me. You did this for me. 
out of love, out of love. So let's apply this to ourselves. How can we reestablish this connection and keep it strong where we drink in God's mercy and we give mercy to others? We drink in God's patience and we give patience to others. How can we do this? How can we do this? Well, let me give you some practical help in this. And this, is, this has helped me, so certainly it helps me, not that I'm perfect in this by any stretch. First of all, I think, is to keep constant in the profound impact that what God has done for us. We need to keep that constant. That's where I think Paul is and John is and Peter is. They're constantly talking about the gospel. It's, it's all they talk about. How do we do that? I would urge you to do that by thinking, meditating, searching the scriptures, praying, thanking God. Jesus told us to get alone, go into your closet. The word is translated in the King James Version, go into your closet. And the word means a storage room. Jesus said, go into your storage room. What does he mean by that? He's saying, go to the attic. Go down in the basement. Go to the fruit cellar. Go to the shed. Shut the door. Get alone with your father and speak to your father who is in secret. That's what Jesus urges us to do. He urges us to do that daily. We're supposed to pray, our father who's hard in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. This is a daily thing we're supposed to be doing. Getting alone with God and then thinking and meditating about the cross. Sit at the foot of the cross and meditate. Look at the dying man on the cross. Look at the blood until you're sickened by it. Look at this sacrificial love until your heart is moved by it. Look at his commitment to you. We need to be people who get alone with God and keep the impact of the gospel strong in our heart. Because it is very hard to stamp, get out of that prayer closet and then go and hate somebody. It's very hard to do that. Secondly, I think we need to stay in contact and touch with God's present daily forgiveness and love for us. And let me urge you, Scott actually modeled this for us in his prayer just now, but let me urge this to you. And that is, I would urge you to make a part of your life Confession of sin. Confession of sin. The Bible tells us to confess our sins. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. You say, Todd, you didn't read that in the Bible. You just said it by heart. You know why I said that by heart? Because <laughs> I'm a sinner and I need that verse and I memorized it 50 years ago. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. What's confession? Confession, some have said, is agreeing with God about our sin. But what I want to urge you to do is this. Be very specific and very real about your sin with God. No hashtag religion here. Yeah, well, we're all sinners. Okay, God, sorry, please forgive me for all my sins. Give me a blanket, boom, right there. Just give me a blanket part, boom. God, forgive me for all my sins. Now let's move on in prayer, what I really want from you. Now that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be very specific about our sin. God calls us to, to own our sin before him. 
Think of, think of Psalm 51 when David owns his sin of Bathsheba. Against you and you only have I sinned. God, have mercy upon me. God, don't withdraw your Holy Spirit from me. God, please restore me to the joy of my salvation. God, I have grievously, grievously sinned against you. And I think that we need to have this in our own lives. We need to, we need to be enunciate our sin. God, I was very unkind to that person. God, there was hatred in my heart toward that person. God, I should not have used those words that I used yesterday. God, I should not have thought those thoughts that I thought. God, I have been arrogant in my dealings with that person. God, please have mercy upon me. I know these sins are vile and ugly in your sight, and I confess them before you, asking for your forgiveness, asking for your cleansing. I think we hashtag religion this too much. Because we need, to, we need to, to own it in such a way that we feel the unworthiness of, our, of who we are. We feel that. In the Bible, we have examples of that. The tax collector goes into the temple and he beats his breast and he will not look at God. These people used to rip their clothes and put sackcloth and ashes and sit in it and own their sin before God. I want to urge you to make that part of your spiritual discipline in your life. Because what you will do in doing that is that then, well then, let me warn you first of all, you do that, you're going to find yourself standing or sitting or kneeling or wherever you have your devotions in a very uncomfortable place. A very uncomfortable place. Because you've just owned all of your ugliness before God. You've been totally honest and you've owned all your ugliness before God. And there you sit. A holy God. Your ugliness right out there. And you have nothing to offer him. That's a, that's a scary place to be. But it's a very good place to be. Because then what you do is you say, God, have mercy upon me. God, I need your pity and compassion. God, I need your grace. God, I'm asking you to forgive me. God, I'm asking you to look to your son and his blood and his righteousness and accept me in this. I, I, I can make no demands upon you. I, I owe you everything. You owe me nothing. And now I am a man who is standing here and I am saying to the holy God, please treat me with grace. Please forgive me. And usually at this point, I quote to myself, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The point I'm trying to make here, dear friends, is if we get in touch with our sin and his grace and his forgiveness and his patience, especially when you come to him like constantly with the same sin, his grace, his patience, his forbearing, his love is fresh and new every day. It's hard to get up from that place and be unforgiving to somebody else. It's hard. And if you're struggling with somebody else, you're struggling with somebody, you do have that person in your life who's mean, who, who, who lies, who's, who's hurt you, who is, you do have that person in your life, I would urge you to pray for them. Jesus commands us to pray for them and ask God to bless them. And I find it very important in my life to say this, what Jesus said on the cross. Father, please forgive them. Father, forgive them for their sin. 
what they said about me, how they hurt me, how mean they were to me. I'm asking you, God, please don't hold that against them. God, please don't send them to hell for that. God, please don't judge them for that. Please forgive them. Jesus prayed that on the cross. Stephen prayed that as he was being stoned. And ask God to exercise his love and his forbearance and his patience to them. But then think about their sin and remind yourself of how many times you committed that sin. It's maybe not to them. And God's response to you. And that's what Paul means in verse 13 when he says, forgive as Christ forgave you, you also must do. Dear ones, let's get beyond hashtag religion. Let's get back in touch with God and let's reconnect so that we become the elect, the holy ones, who we are, the elect, the holy ones, the beloved of God, and we will then be able to love and the connection will flow through to others. Are you afraid of God? Maybe you're here today because you're not a Christian. You're here today and you're not a Christian. Are you afraid to approach this holy God because you're a sinner? You should be. There should be fear and trembling at that moment. For he is a holy God. And he can send you to hell. He can but I want to urge you that today is the day of salvation. And what this holy God has done is he is offering to you his son. He is offering to you cleansing and pardon and forgiveness. He's offering to, to, to pour out upon you his love and grace and, and forbearance and forgiveness. He's inviting you. Why? Not because you're good. You're wretchedly sinful. He's inviting you because he's good and he's compassionate and he has pity upon you and he aches for you and he sees and feels with tender mercy your brokenness and your sin. And he has already sent his son to purchase sinners like you. And now he's offering his son to you in love and in mercy. And dear ones, if you come to Christ and you experience for the first time in your life that wave of forgiveness, that wave of favor, that wave of grace, you'll find yourself immediately beginning, your heart immediately beginning to soften. Immediately begin to soften to those who are in your May God give you the grace to do that. If you have your Bibles open and you're at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, let's read together verses 12 through 14 as we close this part of the service. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's pray together.
Father, we're deeply grateful, deeply grateful for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus and how every day we literally stand, wake up, breathe because of your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your long-suffering, your forbearance. We're daily debtors to your grace, your, your unmerited love for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we're even invited to this amazing table to fellowship with you. Thank you. Oh, Father, please help us. Help us to extend all of this to others, even this week, even this week. Help us to be people who have tender mercy, who forgive, who have genuine pity and mercy. Help us, we pray, to love. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.